Welcome to the LYA podcast. Liberty Young Adults exists to discover the community that you were created for and to follow the purpose God made you for. This podcast was created so that you can catch up on the sermons that you might have missed or just want to listen to again. Here's Pastor Corbett. Amen. Y'all can be seated. Thank you so much for leading us in worship tonight. I love the song we just sang where it talked about the same God and talked about some of the things that we saw in the Old Testament and how God was there, how he provided, how he moved in powerful ways. Tonight we're going to be starting a brand new series in the book of Acts. And in this series we're going to see some incredible works of God. You're going to see how God works through the apostles and uh, those followers in the early church. Um, But we're also going to see how God works, how the power of the Holy Spirit moves in and through them to accomplish incredible things. And what I love about the song we just sang is that as we study through the book of Acts, don't worry, we're not going to study through it all tonight. We're just going to be in chapter 1. But as we study through, you're going to see God do some incredible things. You're going to see times where thousands of people give their life to Christ at one time. You're going to see times where there's just a one-on-one interaction where God puts one of his apostles in the right place in the right time to share the good news so that someone gives their life to Jesus and to follow him. And I love what we just sang because we serve the same God. That that God can still do the impossible today. That our God can still and desires to work in and through each and every one of us. And I believe that as we look at the book of Acts tonight and we start diving into uh, just what it has for us, that God calls us to be a people that lives on mission that are witnesses, that share what he has done in our life. And I believe as we're faithful to do that, that we will see God move in an incredible way in this generation and in our world today. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 1. If you want to go ahead and turn there, Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1 tonight. The book of Acts is an exciting book to read because it really tells the story of the formation of the church after the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. And we'll start tonight with his ascension into heaven. We'll see how God works through the apostles to take the gospel to the world and how the early church is formed. And the interesting thing about Acts is it's a book that, yes, gives us a lot of historical information, um, And a lot of what we read is descriptive. It's describing what takes place or what took place in that time frame. But there's also aspects of it that are prescriptive, that apply to our life, that apply to us as believers. So I want us to go ahead and look at Acts chapter 1. I'm going to start us just by reading verses 1 through 11, and then we'll start to break it down a little bit more. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, it says this. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. 
And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So we're just going to look at the first 11 verses of chapter 1 tonight. But before we really dive into those verses, I want to give you three questions to ask when you're studying Scripture. Whenever you start studying a new book of the Bible or you begin looking at a, a new text in Scripture, these are three questions that I want to encourage you to ask. Who is the writer? Who are they writing to? And what is going on? The beauty of the passage we're reading tonight is that it gives you all of those answers right up front, right in the beginning. And so it makes that easy. Sometimes you have to dig a little deeper. Um, but for those of you that you have a study Bible, usually there's a page right before you start uh, the, the book of the Bible that gives you some background information, when it was written, who wrote it, what was the circumstance, um, the time frame, all that kind of stuff. Uh, if you don't have a study Bible and you're like, man, well, that rules me out. Google is your best friend. You can literally Google the book of Acts background, and you can find all kind of links that will give you information on this. And you might say, Pastor Corbett, that's great for like a nerdy guy like you that wants to study more and more, but like, how does that apply to me? Let me give you a quick example. Why is it important for us to answer these questions? Why is it important for us to know who's writing this book? Who are they writing to? What's taking place? Here's a good example I can give you guys. I have a folder at our house. And in this folder, there's a bunch of notes. Y'all are going to laugh or maybe think this is cheesy. I have a bunch of notes that Kimber, which is my wife, wrote to me when we were dating. And I saved those because they were special. I thought they were important, different occasions. Yeah, you can, oh. But anyways, so I still have a folder where I saved those things because they were written by someone that I love and that loved me, still does, Lord willing, you know. And in special or significant times in our life. Now, those letters are valuable and they're meaningful to me because of those things. Now, if one of those were to fall on the floor and one of you guys were to just pick it up, let's say Aaron's walking down the aisle and he just picks up this letter and starts reading it, like he might be like, man, they're a pretty good writer. Like that was poetic. I, I liked that. That was good. But it's not going to carry the same weight because he doesn't know who's writing it and it hasn't been written directly to him. He doesn't know the circumstances with which that letter was written. And so sometimes if we just jump into a text and we don't know who's the writer, who's the people group they're writing to, and what was the purpose or what were the circumstances surrounding that, we don't get the full uh, magnitude of what's being communicated in that passage. And a lot of times it's hard for us to, to discover the intended meaning for that passage unless we know those things. So that's why I want to spend a little bit of time before we jump right into the book of Acts just talking about the background of the book of Acts so that as we walk through it uh, throughout the rest of this series, you have a good framework to build upon. So it says right off the bat in verse 1, it says, in the first book, that's our first clue. And then it says, O Theophilus. So uh, it says, in the first book, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up. And so um, you got to know a little bit to know what it's referencing here or to have read another book of the Bible or to have had a good commentary or Google search or something along those natures, along that, those lines. But the Gospel of Luke is written also to this individual named Theophilus. 
And so uh, Luke is the writer of the book of Acts. And so this is really picking up from what he wrote in the Gospel of Luke. He says, In my first writing, I dealt with everything that took place during Jesus' earthly ministry, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And now, in the book of Acts, he's going to pick up at the ascension of Christ, where Jesus is ascending into heaven, and he's giving his followers this command or this commissioning or telling them, hey, I'm going to heaven to be with the Father, but this is what you were going to go and do. Um, And so this is where Acts is going to pick up. It's going to tell the story of what takes place after Jesus ascends and how the gospel begins to spread around the world. The word Acts uh, comes from a Greek word that really describes great deeds done by by the apostles. It's just this idea of great deeds that are done. So it accurately reflects the content of the book. Uh, But I would say that the main purpose of the book is not just what the apostles do, but it's how the power of the Holy Spirit empowers the people of God to carry out the mission and the work and the calling that he has placed on their life. So the book of Acts is written by Luke, who also wrote the Gospel of Luke. And Acts picks up where the Gospel of Luke left off. So one of the questions maybe we should ask is, who is Luke? Uh, What we know about Luke is that he was a physician. He was possibly a Gentile. And just from uh, cross-referencing different things in Scripture, we know that he was not an eyewitness of Jesus' ministry, but he lived during the first century. He was a companion of Paul. And he carefully investigated things. So he was close to many of these apostles, and he heard the stories that they told, and he learned from them. And uh, as we get later into the book of Acts, he starts using language that leads us to believe that he is present as some of these events are taking place. So that's Luke who's writing this. Um, When you look at his writings, you'll see that he's methodical. He gives detailed writings. Uh, He gives us a detailed record of what takes place. But here's also something interesting. Luke writes more of the New Testament than any other author. And you're probably like, no, you're wrong. That's Paul. But when you actually look at the amount of verses and the amount of words that he writes, Luke wrote 27.5% of the New Testament. So Paul wrote more books. Luke wrote more content. Not really going to help us in this series, but if you ever play Jeopardy or something like that, now you know who wrote the most content there. Um, So Luke is our writer, and then he says he's writing to Theophilus. Both of his writings are addressed to this same individual. So who is this Theophilus? Uh, What we see from Luke's writing is that he desires to prove to Theophilus the truth of Jesus, the Messiah, his life, his death, and his resurrection. The word Theophilus means friend of God or loved by God. And by the way he addresses him, we can assume that he is some type of uh, high social standing figure. So Luke is writing to this individual, and he's explaining everything that Jesus did. He's explaining how he worked, and he's telling him about what takes place after Jesus' ascension because he wants him to believe that it's true. And so we've got this detailed account that we're receiving from Luke, who has been close to these followers of Jesus. Um, And we're going to be able to pick up as we read this passage and really see uh, what Luke is trying to drive home as he explains the origins, really, of the early church. So let's look at verses 4 and 5. Acts chapter 1, verse 4 says, And while... And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he had said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. 
John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The first thing that I want us to see as we look at this passage is that power comes from the Holy Spirit. Power comes from the Holy Spirit. Jesus is talking to his followers in this passage, and he says, you're not to depart from Jerusalem. In other words, I want you to stay right where you are, because in a few days, you're going to receive power. The, whole, the Father has promised that when I ascend to heaven, that he is going to send someone, he's going to send the Holy Spirit to you, and you are going to be, the word it used, baptized with the Holy Spirit. And that can seem confusing because you're like, yeah, I know we do baptism and that means we dunk people underwater. So what does it mean to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? And it's just communicating this idea to immerse, to submerge, or to overwhelm. That you will be literally filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third member of the triune Godhead. And Jesus is urging and encouraging his followers not to, re- to depart, but to remain right where they are. Because they're going to receive the promise from God. And that promise that's coming in the upcoming days is that they are going to be filled with the promised Holy Spirit. That the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is going to come and dwell inside of them and they will be filled. filled. And really what Jesus is saying in this passage is, you need to stay put because I've got a great task ahead of you. I've got a great calling on your life, but you can't do it on your own. You can't go about it on your own power. You can't go uh, and try to accomplish this without the power of the Holy Spirit. But don't fear, because I'm sending my Spirit who is going to come, and he's going to dwell inside of you, and he's going to empower you, and he's going to give you the ability to do things that maybe you thought you never could do. And I want to tell you tonight, this writing is Jesus talking to his apostles. It's Jesus talking to his followers. But the same thing rings true for us in our life tonight that every one of us needs the power of God in our life. That when Scripture tells us that when someone comes to be a believer, when they place their faith in Jesus, that we receive the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of us. And if you're trying to walk through this life living by your own strength, if you're trying to go about things by your own power, the reality is you're going to fail. If you're trying to overcome sin by being more disciplined, it's not going to work. If you keep telling yourself, I just need to be bolder in my faith, I just need to be more confident, but you're just trying to be more disciplined, you're just trying to do it by your own strength, it's not going to work. You're going to fail. But if you want to see victory in your life, and if you want to see God work through you in a powerful way, you need his power. And the good news is that the same promised Holy Spirit that he was promising his apostles, he promises all of those who trust in him. And his spirit comes and dwells in us, and it gives us a spirit of boldness. It gives us the words to say. It gives us the the, uh, desire and the ability to carry out and to live our lives in a way that is pleasing to him. But we've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We've got to be led by the Spirit if we want to live a a life for the Lord, a life of of boldness and a life of impact. And one of the ways that that happens is by spending time with God. Yes, when you place your faith in Christ, God gives his promised spirit. But it talked about this idea of being filled or being uh, immersed with the Holy Spirit. And we can have the Spirit living inside of us and still not be listening or surrendering to the Holy Spirit in our life. It requires us spending time in God's Word. It requires us spending time in prayer. It requires us surrendering our will to God's will. And we do that. when we do that, I believe that the Spirit leads and it guides us into living a life that God calls us to, and a life 
that is pleasing to him. The first thing we see in this passage is that power comes from the Holy Spirit. The next thing I want you to see is found in verses 6 and 7. It says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. The second thing I want us to see in this passage is that obedience is the answer. Obedience is the answer. So Jesus is here with his followers, and they know that he's about to ascend. They know that something's about to happen. This is his last marching orders that, they get, that he's giving them. And they said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel or restore the kingdom of Israel? Some of his disciples have been with him all of this time. They've walked with him. They've learned from him. They've seen the miracles. They've seen the love and the compassion that he had for people. They believed that he was the Messiah. They were there when he was arrested. They saw that he was crucified, that his body was laid in the tomb, and now they have seen him risen from the dead, and yet they still fail to fully comprehend why Jesus came to this earth. They still think that after all of this, that he is in some ways just an earthly Messiah, that he's going to restore the kingdom uh, to Israel. They're looking for an earthly Messiah, one that's going to come and that's going to conquer their enemies, one that's going to set up an earthly reign for Israel. And that day the people of Israel lived under the, the bondage or the captivity of the Roman Empire. And so they're thinking Jesus has come, he's risen from the dead, he's going to set up his kingdom, he's going to set up his rule and reign, and we're not going to be uh, living in bondage or in captivity to the Romans anymore. We're not going to have to live under their law because Jesus is going to rule and we're going to be a powerful people group. And you see, the truth is, one day Jesus is going to come and rule and reign on this earth. But Jesus had a far greater plan than just an earthly salvation that he was offering. They concluded that his resurrection and the promise of the Spirit uh, that in doing that, the messianic error had dawned and that the final salvation of Israel was imminent. However, they were still expecting the restoration of a military and political kingdom that would drive out the Romans and restore national sovereignty to Israel. But in Jesus' death, in his burial, in his resurrection, he was doing something far greater than that. He was setting them free from the bondage of sin and shame, and he was offering them eternal life where they could rule and reign with him in heaven. And he offers that same thing to you and to me. And so in this passage, Jesus is, is about to ascend to be with the Father, and they ask this question, like, are you about to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus doesn't refute their answer. Um, I love what he says. He says, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. He doesn't reject them, but rather he identifies that, other than, uh, that there are other key things for these believers to do. He turns them to obedience. And we're going to jump into that portion of the passage in just a minute. But they're saying, Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom? And he says, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons which the Father has fixed. And as I'm reading that, I think, man, this applies to our lives so much. How often do we get focused on when is this going to happen? When is God going to do this? When am I going to be delivered from this? I'm just going to give you a couple examples. Some of these, I believe, are going to resonate with you all around the room. When am I going to get that promotion? Like, when am I finally going to have a better job? 
When am I going to get that job that I've been longing for? When am I going to make more money? Here's a good one. When am I going to find that person that I'm going to marry? When is God going to bring that person across my path? Like when, and then you have a lot of married couples that are saying, when is God going to bless us with children? Oftentimes we find ourselves in life just asking God, when is this going to take place? When is that going to happen? And we're just looking for some future season that we're longing for. And yet what Jesus is saying in this passage is you that those are, are things that are fixed, times and seasons that are fixed by the Father's own authority. In other words, these are things that you can't control. In life, we can get so focused on and so caught up on circumstances and the timing of things that we can't control that we can miss out on the things in our life that we can control. Think about that for a second. In life, we can get so fixed on the things that are outside of our control and asking and longing and wanting for those things to occur that we can miss out on the things that are in our control. Jesus says it's not for you to know God's timing. In other words, God has a plan, and his timing is perfect, and he's going to bring it to pass in his perfect timing. You don't have to know that. You don't have to know when it's occurred. You don't have to know when that time's going to be. But here's what you do have to know. In verse 8, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus turns their attention from when is this going to happen to here's how you can be obedient in the season that you're in right now. Instead of sitting around thinking about, God, when are you going to do this? God, when is this going to happen for me? When am I going to get that big break? When am I going to find that person that I want to spend the rest of my life with? When is this going to happen? When is this going to happen? Jesus says, instead of worrying about the things that are fixed by God that are outside of your control, be obedient right where you are. Because he says, you're going to receive power. This is what he tells his followers, and this is where we're going to park for a while tonight. You are going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I love what he says. You will receive power. When are they going to receive it? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is saying, stop standing around worrying about the times and the seasons and stressing over things you can't change and be obedient because you're going to receive power. If you're a follower of Jesus, the promise that he gives us is that you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But he also gives us a commission that is not a suggestion or a recommendation or something that we can do if we want to. He's talking to his uh, the disciples, later known as the apostles in this passage, and he's giving them this charge and this challenge on over their life. But the same challenge is true. The same charge and commissioning applies to every single person that chooses to follow Jesus, that makes him the Lord of, your, of, of their life, that you are going to be my witnesses, that that is what you are called to do. And we're going to break that down more in just a little bit, but I love that. that. This idea of we can be so overwhelmed and concerned with things in our life that some of those matter. Some don't really matter. Some are things that might come to pass. Some are things that won't. And Jesus says, rather than be so anxious, rather than be so worried about all those things, be obedient with what you know to be true. 
Be obedient with what you know that you're called to. He doesn't ask them to go. He doesn't say you can do it. He doesn't encourage them or say this is what you should do. He says you will be my witnesses. Think about who he's talking to in this passage. I'm going to say I'm going to read it one more time for you. It says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Think about the men he's talking to. These are the disciples. What did they do just a short time before? Uh, Acts gives us this estimate that it was roughly 40 days, or it was 40 days between the time when Jesus rose from the dead and when, when he ascended into heaven. So think about where these guys were 43 days ago, 44 days ago. These were the same men who when Jesus was arrested, they fled. When Jesus was on trial, they denied him. When Jesus was crucified, they were in hiding. When the, the women came to report that Jesus had risen from the dead, they're all in a room fearing for their lives because they think that they're the next group of people that are going to be arrested and going to be taken away. They fled, they hid, they ran away. The group that denied and hid themselves and that was cowardly in their behavior, now they hear from Jesus that you're going to receive power and you're going to take the gospel to people in the surrounding area and ultimately around the world. Think about that. A great transformation is happening in their life because Jesus is alive. He's risen from the dead. But what we see from that is that it's not by their human power. The reason that they're going to be able to go on to do all the incredible things that they do is because the Holy Spirit of God comes and dwells inside of them and gives them the power to carry out the calling that God has placed on their life. I want you just to imagine what's taking place in this passage for a minute. As I read this uh, several weeks ago and have just been reading through this passage over the last uh, week, um, just to really wanting to, to fully grasp it and get a better understanding of what Jesus is saying in this passage. He says, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Imagine what it must be like for Jesus to stand right in front of you and say, this is the calling on your life. This is what you're going to do. You're going to go and you're going to make disciples. You're going to take the gospel to people in Jerusalem, which is right where you live, to people in Judea, which is just outside of that, to people in Samaria, and ultimately I'm going to use you to take the gospel to the entire earth. How incredible would that be for Jesus to stand before you and say, this is the calling that's on your life. But more importantly, how important would it be and how cool would it be to know that my life's whole purpose is to go and to tell people about Jesus so that they might know him and so I can help them grow in their faith. And as I'm sitting there just thinking about that, it's like the text just smacks me right upside the head and the Holy Spirit convicts me and says, God's speaking to me in this passage. That that is the calling that God has put on my life. And not just me because I'm a pastor and that's my job, but that's the calling, the primary calling that God has put on the life of every single person that calls him Lord and Savior and that chooses to follow him. And sometimes I think we get this mixed up and confused because we have different occupations. You're like, no, 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 you don't understand. God's call on my life is to go into the military. Like God's call on my life is to work at the shipyard. God's call on my life is to be a nurse or to be a teacher or to be a doctor or to be a mechanic or to work at NASA. And some of y'all are smarter than me, so you can do some of those things. But 
we get that mixed up because we think that our occupation is our calling, but the reality is the primary call that God has on each one of your lives, if you're a follower of Jesus, is that you're going to be witnesses, that you're going to go and you're going to tell people about what he's done in your life, and you're going to make disciples. You're going to help people grow in their faith and to be able to turn around and do the same thing so that they might go and be able to tell people about Jesus. And so, when you think about your job or your occupation, Paul was a tent maker. That's what it says in Acts, that he made tents. That's how he made a living. Our occupation is the means by which God provides for us, but it's also the avenue through which we have influence to witness and to make disciples. And so I just want to challenge you with that tonight, that as you read this story and as you read the the calling that that Jesus is placing on his followers, the same calling is true on your life. And I pray that God would do an incredible work in our hearts and in our lives so that we would be people that realize that every day, Every, everything we do ought to be focused on being a witness for him, ought to be uh, centered on making disciples. That everywhere I go, whether it's where I work out, whether it's where I, I go and play golf, whether it's where I go and get coffee every morning, or the, the people I interact with in my neighborhood, that everywhere we go, God has placed us there for a reason, it's so that we might be a witness, so that we might tell people about him, so that we might help people grow in their faith. Why? Because the gospel needs to go to more people. He was sending out his followers so that more and more people might hear the good news of who Jesus is and that they might believe so that they could be saved and they could continue to carry the message on and they could continue to share hope with more and more people. I don't even know where I'm at because I got on a soapbox with that and just kept rolling with it. But that was just, that that passage just uh, impacts me so much because we are all called to be witnesses. Your occupation, as I mentioned, is a mean for God to provide for you, but it's also an avenue for you to have gospel influence because you're called to be a witness. Throughout the book of Acts, we'll see some incredible things take place. In the next chapter, Peter's going to stand up and he's going to preach, and there's going to be 3,000 people that give their life to Christ in one day. And when I read that, I think, what would it be like to see that in our day? Why don't we see incredible moves like that? And yes, there are some events in Scripture that it is a a miraculous event that we're not saying like, oh, we're going to replicate that. Like we're going to go outside and everybody's going to speak in this language and anybody that hears it's going to understand. Like that's not what I'm trying to communicate. But maybe the reason we don't see a mass move of God in our generation is because we haven't been faithful to share. Maybe the Holy Spirit dwells in us and gives us power, but we haven't been obedient to tell others about him, and to make disciples. And my question for you is, what might happen if we all take to heart this truth that you've been given power and you've been called to be a witness? And there's a lot of things in this life that we don't know the answers to. There's a lot of things that we might not ever know the answer to. But what we do know is that God has called us to make disciples. He's called us to be a witness. And in the midst of the craziness, in the midst of the chaos, I believe he's looking for people that say, God, I trust you enough to be obedient and to believe that you've given me everything that I need to live a godly life and to go and to share with others. What might he do with a room full of young people that say, you know what? I'm going to be obedient. That as I go into this next week, it's not just going to be about completing all the tasks and doing all the things I need to do. 
but it's going to be about looking for people that are hurting, looking for people that need to be encouraged, looking for people and praying for opportunities to share with them about what you have done in my life so that they too might experience the hope that comes from Jesus. I want us to look at verses 9 through 11. Verse 9 says this, And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The last thing I want us to see from this passage is there is work to be done. There's work to be done. Jesus is ascending into heaven. His followers are watching him ascend. Then the passage tells us that they're just standing there gazing up into the clouds. That They're just watching like, dude, what just happened? Like, I mean, let's be real. We probably would all do that if we just saw somebody lift up and go into the clouds. Like, is he coming back? Like, what? does he reach a certain point where he can't go anymore? You know, it's like watching a balloon. You just get mesmerized. It keeps going. But it says they're just looking up into the clouds. And the angel says, he who has been taken up will return in the same way. That Jesus is coming back in the same way that he's ascended, he's going to return. And he's given his followers a command and a commission, and he's coming back. So what I sense the angel saying in this passage is, there's work to be done. Like Jesus has given you guys a command. Why are you just standing around looking in the clouds? He's coming back. You don't have forever. Like, let's get to it. Like, yes, they're waiting for the Holy Spirit to fall. But, like, we don't have time to just stand around and, and look and gaze and, and, and just look up and see what's going on. And as I started thinking about this, the, the illustration and the memories that came to my mind was, like, being a kid and my parents giving us chores that we needed to do or things we needed to accomplish while they were gone. And, like, hey, we've got to go to this event at the church, or we got to do such and such. But when we get back, we expect you guys to have mopped the floor and to have done this. You can fill in the blank on whatever it was. And it's like you have certain responsibilities that you've been given, and you know you have a limited time frame to get them done. If you're like me and my brother, we, like, did everything but do the chores until we knew that time was tight, and they were like, oh, they're probably going to be back soon. Like, we should probably get that done so that we don't get in trouble. But it, it's kind of, that's kind of the idea that I think is is presented here is that you've been given a task. There's things that God has commanded you to do, and we've got to be found faithful. That when Christ returns or when our life on this earth comes to an end, we've got to be diligent about the work that the Father has called us to do. Not sitting around going, well, I don't think he's coming around anytime soon, so let's just play another game of Xbox. Like, I don't think he's coming anytime soon, so I'll share with that person tomorrow. I don't, I, I mean, I've probably got plenty of time, and that person that works next to me is probably going to be there for another year, so let's just play it out and see if they ask me a question over the next month or two where I can say, like, oh, yeah, I go to church. But the reality is, it's like time is short. Jesus has given us a command to go and to make disciples, to be witnesses, and we don't know how much time we have. I think it's a tragedy, the story that we're seeing on the news today um, about the, the shooting that took place in that school, that someone went into an elementary school and uh, tragically took the lives of many children and uh, I believe a teacher as well, and it's just heartbreaking to see that. And, and I just encourage you to pray for those families, to pray for everyone involved, because I can't imagine what they may be going through. 
But it's also a reminder to us that this life is temporary. There's, there's not a single one of us that's guaranteed tomorrow. I know at our age, and a lot of you are younger than me, so you're like, don't put me in that category, like our age. Uh, for the sake of the illustration, at our age, um, it, sometimes we think we've got a lot of time left, but you don't know what the next day holds for you or for maybe that person that God's called you to witness to. And so I encourage you to be faithful. That uh, Don't just be standing around watching, waiting, uh, wasting time, looking up, because you've got work to do. Jesus is giving marching orders, and he's coming back. And I think too many of us are like the disciples. We're just gazing into the sky. We're just watching life pass by, not realizing what Jesus has called us to do. But time is short. He's coming back. We don't know how much time we have left. Will we be found faithful? Will you be a witness? When I think about the idea of witness, several, uh, maybe a couple months back now, we walked through the series on the miracles of Jesus. And we had the individual in the passage who was possessed by the legion of demons, and Jesus heals him, and it says he's sitting there in his right mind. And he wants to follow, he wants to go with Jesus to the next town and be with him. And Jesus says, No, I want you to go to your city. And I want you to tell about all that I've done in your life. I just want to encourage y'all, and I know that I've said this before, being a witness doesn't mean that you have a degree in theology and you know all the answers to every question. Being a witness may just simply be being bold enough to share how God has moved in your life. Being a witness could just be sharing your story with someone about how God has changed you, how he saved your soul. Will you be a witness? Will you make disciples? As we study through this book, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to see some incredible works that take place. We'll see uh, moves where thousands of people give their life to Christ and, and, the, and are, are saved. We're going to see people added to the kingdom as a result of the boldness and the faithfulness of the followers of Christ and the Spirit of God moving in their lives. And I just want to encourage you, and I want to encourage us as a, as a body of believers just to take this passage to heart tonight. I want to read it to you one more time, just the verse 8, where it says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses. That's the calling that God's placed on each of our lives. And I pray tonight that you'll be obedient to that. That if it's something you struggle with, if it's something that terrifies you, that maybe tonight just spend time praying, God, give me the boldness to live for you. Give me the boldness to be obedient. Maybe tonight you need to pray, God, who do you want me to share with? Who is it in my life that you're calling me to take the gospel to? And I believe that it's possible that in this generation, in this day and age, that we too can see a great revival, that we can see a great work of God if we are faithful to share, if we're obedient to be witnesses, if we're faithful to make disciples. And I believe that God wants to do that work in and through people just like you. I want us to go to the Lord in prayer, and then our worship team is going to come up and lead us in a closing song. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for who you are. And God, I thank you for your goodness. And Lord, I thank you for uh, just the individuals all around this room. God, I'm, I'm so grateful that they're here tonight. Lord, I'm, I, 
I'm so grateful for the heart that they have for you and the desire to follow you. And Lord, I pray that if there's someone here tonight that doesn't know you, that maybe what we talked about was confusing and they're not sure why we're so passionate about it. Lord, I pray that tonight that you would do a a work in their life, that you would give them a desire to know you, to follow you, that you would give them the courage to come and, and ask questions of someone so that we might share with them about who you are. But Lord, I pray all around this room that you would fill your people with your spirit. Your word says that you've not given us a spirit of fear. But God, I pray that you would give us a spirit of boldness, a spirit of courage, and a desire to obey you. And Father, this word that that we see in Acts is so important because God, I just desire to see these young people live a life of significance not by the world's standards, but by yours. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that is not content with just a life of half-hearted obedience. I pray that we wouldn't be content with just following after the paths and the ways of the world. But God, we would be a people that want to experience the joy and the abundant life that only comes from you. And Lord, we know that that comes from obedience. And so God, I pray that you would do a powerful work in our midst. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that is surrendered to your will, that is desperately in need of your power. And God, we ask you to do a work that's so great that we can only attribute to you. We ask that you would do exceedingly and abundantly more through our lives than all that we could ask or even imagine. And we'll give you all the honor and all the glory and the praise for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you were encouraged and convicted through this message. Want to know more information about Liberty Young Adults? Visit libertylive.church slash youngadults or follow us on Instagram at libertylya. See you next week.